America, 1985. Costumed superheroes are part of the fabric of everyday society, and the doomsday clock, which charts the USA's tension with the Soviet Union, is permanently set at five minutes to midnight. When one of his former colleagues is murdered, the washed-up but no less determined masked vigilante Rorschach sets out to uncover a plot to kill and discredit all past and present superheroes. As he reconnects with his former crime-fighting legion, a ragtag group of retired superheroes, only one of whom has true powers, Rorschach glimpses a wide-ranging and disturbing conspiracy with links to their shared past and catastrophic consequences for the future. Their mission, watch over humanity. But who is watching The Watchmen? Come gather round people, wherever you roam And admit that the waters around you have grown And accept it that soon you'll be drenched to the bone If your time to you is worth saving then you better start swimming or you'll sink like a stone For the times they are changing Some writers and critics who prophesize with your pen And keep your eyes wide, the chance won't come again And don't speak too soon for the wheel's still in spin and there's no telling who that it's naming Was the loser now will be later to win For the times they are a-changing Quis custodiet ipsos custodis? Who watches the Watchmen? Ciao my people and welcome to this third episode of Happiness and Darkness, a superhero movie podcast where we cover superhero movies from Marvel, DC, Dark Horse, Image and more. If it came from a comic and had a theatrical release, you know we'll discuss it. I'm one of your co-hosts, DJ Nick, and today we'll be discussing a rather polarising movie and we'll get into why. The movie is Zack Snyder's 2009 movie Watchmen, the movie adaptation of Alan Moore and David Gibbons' seminal revolutionary graphic novel. And with me today, to get down to the nitty gritty of this dystopian world is another great podcaster. You may know him from Next Stop Everywhere, the Doctor Who podcast, the Fandom Zone, Titan Talk, and Set Lost in Bruce, a Bruce Springsteen podcast. We are very happy to welcome another good friend of ours, Mr. Jesse Jackson. Hey, Jesse, how you doing? I am wonderful, Nick. Thank you so much for having me, and congratulations on your new podcast. Um, this is so much fun. I've listened to the first two episodes and have just had a blast. And I am so honored you asked me to join you. Oh, we're so happy to have you on today. And of course, Jesse, the, the first question that I would like to ask is, as, as of course, this is a superhero movie podcast, uh, obviously, so based on comics, when it comes to you, how did you get into comics? What was your first experience with comics? <laughs> So my first memory, and I am bad, you know, <laughs> a lot of people can say, oh, my first comic book was Justice League, blank, 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 or, you know, Superman, blank, blank, blank. But I, I can't remember that. But what I can remember is one of my earliest rem memories is my grandmother 
uh, Virgie Walker. She managed a post exchange. And what that is, for anyone who's never been in the military, it is like a, um, a department store that is on base mm. so that the, um, the GIs, the people stationed on the base, or their dependents could go in and uh, things would be a little bit cheaper than you would at like a regular grocery store or department store and the the commissary is what the grocery store was called and the post exchange the px um would be what you would get uh, you would be like here in the u.s a target or um you know kind of a department store where you could get um you know toiletries and, and things like that and she managed one and so i would go to work with her and back then, there was a comic spinner rack at the back of the store. And for those of you who do not remember, that's how comics used to come. They would be on a spinner rack, and uh, they did not. This was way before. This is like probably 63, 64. Right. And I would take every comic I wanted, and I would pull them from the spinner rack, and I would bring them to my grandmother along with probably a package of Oreos and either a milk or a Coke. And she would take the comics and rip the covers off. And then therefore she could give the covers to the people to get credit for the books. And she would give me the comics. And um, so that is for the longest time, none of my comics had covers. Um, And, so I grew up reading those comics and uh, then would go and underneath um, in Louisiana, a lot of buildings are on piers. And so underneath the, um, the building would be this dirt and play and you could go underneath there um, and it would be high enough that it wouldn't be scary. And you could, um, I would read comics there, or I'd go out to, I'd go to the warehouse and make a fort of boxes of Tide. You know, picture, you know, this department store storage room and would read comics. So that is my earliest memory of comics. Um, And the other one is um, when we would go to, This was when I was probably in the first or second grade. Uh, My parents would give me a quarter, and with a quarter you could buy two comic books. Comic books were 12 cents then, and and I remember it was a huge deal, Nick, when comics went up to 15 cents. There was a full-page ad from each of the – mostly DC. I was a DC guy. explaining that because of cost of ink and postage, they were going to have to go up. And I tell people all the time, this was my first um, lesson in inflation. I used to be able to buy two comics with a quarter, and now at 15 cents, I could only buy one. My purchasing power was cut in half. And and I didn't care about the dime, you know, because I, I wanted two comics, and instead I got one comic and a chain and I was crushed oh, because yeah. I, I could only buy one comic at a time. 
<laughs> well, I tell you, I mean, I can totally, I totally get that. I mean, it's crazy if you think how the, the, the price of comics has gone up as time has progressed, you know, and it's just, yes. it's, it's a crazy thing. And I think that now it's become even more of an expensive passion than it used to be, which is kind of sad, you know, for a lot of people yes. who want to get into comics and have to buy, you know, back issues and stuff. But luckily, I think we have digital comics these days, which are a little bit on the cheaper side, but of course, it's not the same thing as buying them in pay, uh, you know, in, in the paper form, which is probably the best, I guess. Oh, absolutely. And I, so as I continued to grow up, I, I read comics. I never liked Marvel because um, for the very reason most people did like Marvel, Marvel, you didn't always get a full story. Mm. Like if you and, and because I would get comics not on a consistent basis, um, if I read a Jimmy Olsen or a Legion of Superheroes or a Superboy or a Lois Lane or even a Justice League – um, you got a one and done. The stories were, you know, one story it was done. While if you read like Spider-Man or Fantastic Four, you may only get part of a story because – and then I, I wouldn't always get the other issue. And so I think that is why I, I developed a love for DC, um, which continues to this day. If, if, I, if I had it – I mean by far Superman is my favorite character. Um, it is um, – I certainly have – as I grew up and there became you know, independent comic shops, I would certainly buy my um, you know, Frank Miller and Kevin Smith's run on Daredevil, uh, JMS's you know, run on Spider-Man, Mark Wade on Daredevil, and, and then you know, Captain America. So, so I have certainly read my share of Marvels, but by far – I remain a DC guy. <laughs> well, I, I have noticed this, and you know, and I, I noticed that your your heart definitely beats for DC, and I can see this also in the you know in the in the movies that you enjoy. Of course, you know you picked uh, Watchmen, which of course was it came out, should we say, under the DC banner. And before we actually do get into the movie itself, when was the did you actually get a chance to read the graphic novel? I mean, when was the first time you actually got to read uh, Alan Moore and and Gibbons's graphic novel as a whole? So um, I was old enough and a comic book fan at that that I bought every issue individually mm. and would read it one at a time and was amazed. And um, I will tell you that getting that comic once a month and by the end of the sixth episode, sixth issue, I was – this thing is too depressing. Mm. You know, Nick, I was like, I don't know if I can keep reading this thing. It is just what a depressing story. And then um, Lori and um, Alman, you know, break Roshak out of prison. Right. And then you get a little more happiness, you know, and, and, and then there's a little more and a little more. And yes, while it is a very dark story um it at least starts to build with a little bit more of hope as we go on mm. and so and in that when you see um dan and Lori, um you know them fighting and then having sex 
and then him going, I think we should break Rorschach out of prison. <laughs> you know, it, it was like, wow, okay, wait a minute. So, um, I, I, you know, I remember the hype that it was going to go on. Um, you know, this is, it gets very, I'm old, so it gets confusing about, you know, Dark Knight and Watchmen and all this coming out similar at the same time. But um, definitely something pretty cool to read every month. And then when you had the chance, and, and you would have to reread the issues. Like when the, when the issue four came out, you would read one, two, and three again. And then when issue five came out, you'd go one, two, three, and four. Um, and up until a couple of years ago, um, probably about once a year, I pulled out my trade paperback and reread the series uh, from front to back. And that's quite an that's quite an undertaking, I think, because like you were saying, um, it's probably almost better, I think, for people who read it the first time to almost take a break between issues because yes. there is it's such a rich. Um, story and there's so much going on. I mean, Alan Moore has put so much into it that I think to read it all in, almost in one sitting or you know in a couple of days can be kind of quite an undertaking because it is rather complex and there's certain things that you know. And if one could almost uh, spend a day on just one issue, going from panel to panel, because the artwork is just mind blowing. Yeah, and one of the things I always thought. Uh, DJ Nick is, um, you know, one of the questions like um, Desert Island Discs, discs, or you know, what what five books would you want um, if you're on a desert island? And I always think that Watchmen would be one of mine because it's so complicated, mm. um, and it would be one that would hold up on uh, repeated uh, readings because you would see something new each time. And, um, and in fact, you know, right before the movie came out, a lot of different comic podcasts were going through issue one at a time and, and breaking it down and discussing it. And so that was another way that I read the book while listening to these podcasts, getting ready for the movie, uh, and I think you did that. You did you did a great thing doing that because, as we were saying, it is very complex. So let's get into this movie. Of course, Watchmen, as I was mentioning, are directed by Zack Snyder, who most of you might know for Justice League, Batman vs Superman, Man of Steel, and more. It came out in two thousand nine. Was written by David Hayter for you video game fans, the voice of Solid Snake in the Metal Gear Solid games, and also Alex Tse. It stars Jackie O'Haley, Patrick Wilson, Met. Alan Ackerman, Billy Crudup, Matthew Good, Jeffrey Dean Morgan, and more. And of course, Jesse, as the music fan that you are, like me, it's an, the soundtrack is incredible because the music is provided by a plethora of bands from Bob Dylan to Simon and Garfunkel, Leonard Cohen, Jimi Hendrix, just to name a few. On estimates, this movie cost between 130 and 138 million dollars to make and made 185 million at the box office. So let's say good, but not a great reception. And my question is, of all the superhero movies out there, what made you decide you wanted to pick this movie in particular? So, so a couple of things, Nick. One, we have coming up um, this fall, 
um, the new HBO series based on Watchmen. Right. Set 50 years um, after the comic slash movie. Um, This is a flawed film, and I understand why it has a mixed reaction. Mm. But... um, and there, there were a lot of other films I thought about getting and wanting to talk to you, and, and hopefully, um, you know, when you when you need a second round of guests, you'll reach out to Charles and I, and, and we'll get a second shot at this. Certainly, but, I mean, there's such a rich yeah. number of movies out there, so yes. of course. <laughs> um, there was such an anticipation mm. for this movie. I remember... Uh, Brad Meltzer, the um, the mystery writer, uh, TV host, um, actually had was when Kevin Smith left Green Arrow. Brad Meltzer is the one who took over, mm-hmm. uh, writer of Identity Crisis. Um, so has you know a little bit of skin, a little bit you know of um, skins on the wall of being a writer as a comic and a mystery writer and. It was at a book signing, and I said, "Have you seen the Watchmen trailer?" And he said, "I don't. I haven't, because I want to be totally surprised when I go into the theater." Mm. And there was such an anticipation. Um, you know, at this time, Zack Snyder had just done 300, and had made tons of money, and he had so much goodwill and capital, capital capital of uh, that he could do anything he wanted and he chose to do Watchmen um, Kevin Smith after seeing it um, said he loved it um, I love the movie um, it I, I don't know Nick if you um, remember when you walked in after reading the Harry Potter novels and you went into the first movie, mm-hmm. you just wanted this thing to be good. You wanted this to be um, a representative of this beloved book. And I know a lot of people complain about Christopher Columbus and how he didn't make a very strong first or second movie, mm-hmm. but I loved it because he he made it very close to the book, if as close to the book as possible. And then once the film series got to be successful, you're able to make some changes and make a movie that's based on the book, not just a literal translation. But I wanted I, – I, while watching this movie, and I saw it on opening weekend, and I ended up seeing it three or four times in the theater, I – I would watch the film and go, end of chapter one. Mm. That was the end of chapter two, episode two. I, I, there is so much of dialogue that is taken directly from the comics. And there are scenes that are dead of just perfect recreations that um, – this felt like a love letter to that comic. Mm-hmm. And because as each year as I read Watchmen and, and 
was taken back by it and and it made me think and i made i loved how it 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 was such a strong book and story so having someone who so much obviously loved the comic to make it almost in ways shot for shot was something that was special to me Mm -hmm. and so when when you now hear complaints about well you know he should have edited things he shouldn't have changed the ending he should have um i don't you know the the characters seem like they have superpowers even if they don't and all the complaints they have about the movie i go but this was a book they said was unfilmable Mm -hmm. and he was able to film it and so I just wanted to give it a little love. Well, I think that makes two of us, because as we said, you know, I, I think it's also a question of sometimes, we, you know, we're huge fans of the genre, of the superhero genre, and we know that some fans can be very vocal about their opinions, and it's almost impossible to make everybody happy, I feel. And, and I think, you know, yes. as, as you were mentioning, this movie had often been, uh, been kind of passed up because everybody said it was unfilmable. So I think to a certain extent, we do have, kind of have to tip our hat to Zack Snyder for, you know, wanting to take on such a um, such a difficult project and all in all I think he did a good job and my question is also did you actually watch the the famous theatrical cut or were you able to also see the director's cut which apparently also adds things of the black freighter and this kind of thing so I, I ran out of time mm-hmm. uh, before I was going to try to watch the director's cut again um, you know I, I rewatched the theatrical cut uh, before our discussion. Um, I have queued up to watch the Tales of the Dark Freighter and, uh, you know, Behind the Hood, you know, the mock documentary. Yeah. Um, so I, it, it's, it's a long movie as it is. And then to add those parts... Um, you know, I guess it would have been what four hours in the movie theater. <laughs> yeah, because the um, theatrical one is 162 minutes. If you yeah. add everything in, it's 215 minutes, which yes. is a lot. Yes. <laughs> um, and so I, um, so yeah, I, I'm, I, I, I'm talking about the theatrical. Though I, I do love that he put that together to because that is part of the beauty of the comic is the um the drawing of the comic you know and the idea that because there's actually superheroes in this world that pirates are the big are the big selling comics and uh you have the whole subplot of the um scientists being missing and they're the ones that are creating this um you know the creature that shows up at the end and in some of the some of the text pages i love others i i didn't like as much and even when i reread the series i find myself struggling on some of the text like the the story about birds and such mm. I, you know I, I i don't enjoy that as much as i do some of the other stuff mm. I, I i think uh going back to i guess comparing i suppose snyder with the original from moore and gibbons i think 
Snyder obviously did a good job of maybe cutting some of the things that maybe more got a little bit lost in words and he really wanted to just kind of keep going and going and going and you really at, at certain points you know you just had to kind of say okay I have to stop here because the man is just going nuts with with all throwing all this stuff at us and I think Snyder at least made it understandable for people because you have to also bear in mind maybe people went in to watch it who had never even read the comic in their life and I think from that perspective he did a he did a great job of it um and when it comes you know to the to the actors you know who portrayed these in, incredible characters let's start off with you know one of the ones that everybody remembers of course Jackie Earl Haley as Walter Kovacs and Rorschach what was your, what were your thoughts on on the way Jackie portrayed this this particular character, let's say. So obviously, this was such a great story because you know um, a bad news bear. Um, you know the rumor was that he was the only main cast member that had actually read the comic, and um, he was perfect. Mm. And um, the scene in the jail where they're um, he's on the food line and he says the what you guys don't understand is um, you're not in here with you know I'm not here with I'm I'm not locked here with you you're locked in here with me yeah um. We'll go back to some of my things. The first time I went and saw Bruce Springsteen perform live, um, he was doing The Rising. Uh, that was that tour. I didn't know the album as well. So a lot of the songs I did not know. And Linda, my lovely bride, was like, I didn't know any songs. Did you enjoy the show? And I said, I heard Bruce Springsteen do Born to Run Live. If I had hated the rest of the show, just hearing him do Born to Run Live made this a success for me. Hearing Rorschach say, none of you seem to understand, I'm not locked in here with you, you're locked in here with me. Like, okay, check it. I don't care if the rest of it sucks. <laughs> I got that line. Okay, I, I'm, I'm happy. And, and I think what it, what's incredible is we end up almost rooting for, for, for Rorschach, even though he's not the most positive of characters. Um, he is, you know, he's, he, he, his, shall we say, modus operandi is not probably the most, the one well, that you would associate with a hero, but we end up rooting for him. Yeah, and, and um, he, it's more clear in the movie how messed up he was hmm. um, but you know in the comic um, the scene where he becomes quote unquote Rorschach like he says before I was just wearing the mask I didn't become was when the guy um, kills the little girl so that he can't get caught right. and um, the that scene is chilling in the movie, um, you also, by rereading the comic, you see the, um, you know, the end is near sign. If the first few times you read the comic, you may not notice that, you know, 
Rorschach without his mask is the one doing these. So I thought Jackie Earl Haley was wonderful in it. Um, though I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to be uh, um, spoilers. Um, I was pretty happy with the cast as a whole. Though I do want to go through talking to you about them, but I, I really liked the cast. Yeah, I was okay with. You didn't know that many, and but the ones you did, I, I was really happy with. I, I, I think so too. The casting was 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 very much spot on. I will agree with yes. you. And uh, you know, so we talked a little bit about Rorschach here, and then we move on to somebody who might be considered more, should we say, of the superhero stereotype, as it were, Patrick Wilson as Daniel Dryberg slash Night Owl Two, um, or Night Owl the Second. Um, what what, did, what were your thoughts on on the way Patrick played the Daniel Dryberg, and what are your thoughts of Daniel Dryberg as a character? So. Um in the comic, he is very, you know, he, he's, he's got a, you know, he's got, you know, an extra, he's got a stomach, um, you know, he's not very heroic. Um, he's kind of a quote-unquote, you know, sad sack almost. Mm. He, he's a little bit of a loser. And... Um, and and I thought Patrick played that well. Mm. Um, I think he played the intelligence well. Um, you know the scenes when he's with Hollis Mason in that you know Hollis is laughing like you know I've told these stories all the time. He goes no 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 and that back and forth. So I thought he had just enough of the kind of nerdy Clark Kent of it and um, even like the scene when um, they're breaking Rorschach out of prison and he says gotta go to the restroom and they're all like what? <laughs> and in the comic he actually makes a comment like hey I can I remember once it starts mentioning they didn't do that here but we know what's happening and you see the blood crawling. But when he comes back out, you know, um, Dan looks at Lori and kind of shrugs his you know, shoulders like, well, you got to go. You got to go. So I, I thought he was um, I, I, he was very every manish. What? How about you? Well, I, th I, I definitely agree with you. What I thought was really, really great was that um, he he has great morals. I think his heart is in the right place. It almost seems like they they took. Batman, as it were, and split him up between um, Rorschach and Night Owl 2, as in yes. Rorschach kind of has the more gritty, um, sometimes very hard-boiled hard -boiled, uh, superhero, really wants to do everything it takes to find out the truth, even almost to the point of torturing uh, those who might know something, whereas Night Owl 2 has the... Um, the good-natured personality and the one who really wants to do good. I mean, we just see how horrified he is when uh, the comedian starts randomly killing p protesters in the street. And he's, he's you know, yeah. kind of looks at him and says, what happened to the American dream? And he almost, I think he wanted to enter the superhero business for the right reasons. But maybe yes. at a certain point, he's so horrified, you he, he almost look at his face and it's like, what did I sign up for? You know, why is everybody oh, yeah. going so completely AWOL and almost abusing their power and we see that especially with, with the comedian who we will be discussing here shortly and you touched up on, on Hollis Mason I really enjoyed the relationship 
that uh, Hollis Mason has with Daniel. It does very much seem like a father-son relationship. I guess to use the, the once again, the Batman uh, comparison, almost kind of like an older Bruce Wayne with an older Robin kind of, you know, talking yes. to each other. And I, re- and I think as comic book fans, we, can, we could really relate to that kind of relationship. Absolutely. Definitely, and, and so I thought it was. I thought it was beautiful, and, and Stephen McCatty did a, did a splendid job as Hollis Mason. And you also touched up on Laurie Jupiter, Silk Spectre the second, played by Malin Ackerman. Um, when it came to her, did you like the relationship that she had with Daniel, or did you feel that there wasn't much chemistry between the two, as far as the actors went? So I thought it was a pretty decent chemistry, and I thought it was. Um First off, she has been in I had known her from a couple of movies, and I thought she was um, really not only pretty, but a decent actress. So I was really glad to see her. She later plays a great role on Billions, Mm. um, and um, she was in a great sitcom called Trophy Wife. Um, But... um, I, I I like that actress and, and she um and I liked how when her um when she's feeling like you know, no one sees me, you know, he doesn't see me. Mm. And so Dan and Lori try to have sex there on the couch and it just doesn't work. Um and there's that awkwardness. Um and then later after they, you know, have they, – they go out and they save the people and all of a sudden they, they have – they make love and they have sex, you know, in their costumes and in the ship. Um, I think there was a lot of chemistry between them. So um, I she's, – she's absolutely beautiful and, and I think she played the part of – I don't – don't know if I really wanted to do this. I'm doing this partly because, um, and you think of it as um, her mom is pushing her the same. Her mom is a pageant mom, and you know she's becoming she's doing a pageant because her mom's making her, not necessarily because she wants to. Exactly. Well, I guess kind of one could almost say, or oh, these days, what they call helicopter parenting. Yes. Absolutely, and and I I, I I think so too. And what I thought was re- was fun. It was almost it was interesting to see the relationship between Dan and Laurie. I mean, because he definitely is. You can tell he is so nervous every time he's around her. At first, when she enters the restaurant and the scene, the restaurant, he's kind of you know making sure his hair looks okay and he's cleaning his glasses and. He's all, he almost, it's almost like seeing a schoolboy on his first date. That's how, uh, how nervous he is. You can see that she's a lot more in control of the situation. And, and finally, and the, 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 to make the comparison between, um, the, the, should we say the source material and the movie, it almost seems in the source material that Alan Moore wants us to kind of think that, uh, Daniel Dryberg has a problem when it comes to sexuality and that he almost is, can only, is only able, should we say, to get his groove on when he was wearing the costume. And, um, it, yeah. it, you know, it makes me, it makes me almost think of, 
um, to a certain extent, the, the series Titans when it ca- it comes yes. to Hawk. You know, I kind of had a Hawk on this rewatch. I had a Hawk vibe going on, um, and uh, but I, I really enjoyed their, their 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 banter, and I thought it was almost cute and endearing when she kind of forgives him for not being able to perform at first because you can see she's really into him, and I think the fact yeah. that she feeling ignored. By uh, by Doctor Manhattan and, and just people in general, she really sees him as somebody she can connect with. It's almost a, I think, a desperate cry for help, and they end up, you know, hooking up, and it's wonderful uh, ensues. And to go on to another relationship, you know, we looked at the parental relationship between um, the two night owls, Carla Gugino as Sally Jupiter Silk Spectre, who who plays an excellent helicopter parent. Now, of course, we we get to see some shots of her when she's young, when she was younger, and the traumatic experience of being raped and such, um, and then becoming, you know, an alcoholic and sort of uh, closeted and you know staying at home and stuff, almost as a um, Miss Havisham from Great Expectations kind of situation um but uh, uh you know to compare the two um the two relationships so we should we say the father-son relationship with the two night uh, the two night owls and the the mother-daughter relationship between the two silk specters what were your thoughts on the on the mother-daughter relationship so um and i never can say carlo's last name um <laughs> so i have been a fan of hers and have a little bit of a crush on her since the very short-lived Karen Sisko TV show. Mm. Um, if you have never checked it out, it was um, based on the movie Out in Sight where, um, you know, with the, um, the same guy who wrote the books that Justified were based on, um, it is um, it is an absolutely an amazing series. She plays a U.S. Marshal that is down in Miami, um, and it she, she was just wonderful in this series. Mm. Um, and um, Elmore Leonard was the guy who wrote the book in the character she was based on. Um, and she is she has a very impressive IMDB page. She has had a very good career. Um, and so I thought she played the complexity of in the comic, it's very clear, you know, like a moth drawn to a flame. Mm. She knows that the comedian, Eddie, is 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 bad and but it is also someone she is drawn to his um his charisma his charisma his strength um you know her husband is very kind of meek and and she you know to go the cliche right like she wants a bad boy right yeah, yeah that's right but, but but she wants to be under control. Um, so to have that secret that um, the you had a one night stand um, that the and this guy that you are disgusted by, but at the same time a little intrigued with, is the father of your daughter. 
um, is made for a nice um, discussion. And then when you rewatch the movie or you read the comic in and you know their relationship, you see um, the comedian interactions with Laurie in a totally different way. Um, you know, Eddie Blake is when he's trying to talk to Lori is not, you know, trying to seduce her. He's trilling, trying to get to know his daughter. Um, so I, I like that interactions. I, I like, um, I think that the Sally Jupiter character tends to, by the end of the book, a little redemption and a little better of accepting, you know, um, Lori's choices and so uh, I, I think I think this was really well done and considering you've you have a lot of story to tell in this uh, movie I think with little screen time she got she did really well with it and shared enough of the story that she needed to share Agreed. And, and I have to also hand it to the makeup artists because it's amazing how well they did the aging process with her, you know, seeing her as a young woman and then seeing her as a, should we say, a middle-aged or older lady at that point. And yeah. it's incredible how much one buys it because you really think that, you know, it's, it, it blew my mind to, you know, even on the rewatch, because some of these effects might not hold up in other movies over time. Right. But the aging ones in this one, they, they're just as good as any of the, uh, the, the Marvel movies we've seen where they've de-aged or aged characters. And I was absolutely blown away by that. And speaking of special effects, let's talk about, of course, the special effect character par excellence in this movie, Billy Crudup as John Osterman slash Dr. Manhattan. And... I, I found this, this character very intriguing and a very interesting one. And, and the, it's, it's curious or interesting the theme of throughout these, the, all these characters, they have very tragic pasts and very tragic backstories. Kind of like, yes. um, the Doom Patrol, if you will. Um, yes. It, they all come from these very troubled pasts, very traumatic experiences, and of course, Dr. Manhattan is no different. What I thought was interesting in this case with Dr. Manhattan, I think that what, what Alan Moore wanted to do initially where he was he wanted to take the concept of Superman and elevate it to where, what would Superman be like if he did not have, shall we say, humanity, or he looked down almost on humanity as, shall we say, inferior or maybe not even inferior but just not something that he's particularly interested in because the the man is connected with the universe and to him you know humanity is just another another species as it were and i thought that was that was curious i think he once again he wants to do good but at the same time he's looking at the bigger picture and billy crudup does a does a splendid job not to mention the special effects i totally bought the special effects because once again some of these effects might not age so well this one did it definitely holds up today 10 years after the movie came out and um i absolutely love this character loved him in the comics and loved him in the movie what were your thoughts on billy crudup as his role as dr manhattan yeah i'm right there with you um the <laughs> The flashback scenes where you see him as John work, um, the distraction of him 
you know, a little bit, just slightly, you know, we'll, we'll often, when we're talking Doctor Who, we'll say the Doctor kind of sees things that other people don't, and he's two or three steps ahead of everyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he played very well. Billy showed that Dr. Manhattan had to focus to try to keep things going and, you know, just stay on point. Um, and, you know, and there's some great scenes like when he and he's in bed with Lori and he, um, he duplicates himself. Yeah. And I, I thought you liked that. And then, you know, and then he's still working on the other and um, she's that leads her to leaving Um, him um, being shook up when he finds out that his original girlfriend was dying of cancer. Mm -hmm. And and he seems very disturbed by that Um, and and still has slight human emotions. Um, I. I thought he did a great job of showing the alienness of the you know character, and and also though still enough of the humanity. And yeah, I bought the special effects too. Uh, you know, we have full frontal nudity, which is a rarity. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, and so uh, <laughs> the, yeah, the big blue guy did great <laughs> for sure. And moving on to the uh, to the um, other side of the spectrum, shall we say? But I mean, it's very hard to actually to actually say the other side of the spectrum because all of these characters have not necessarily done great things in their past or in certain situations. But shall we say, in inverted commas, the villains? We have, of course, Edward Blake, the comedian, played by the amazing Jeffrey Dean Morgan, and, of course, Matthew Good as Adrian Veidt Ozymandias. Now, Mm -hmm. before we actually go and analyse these characters, my question is, would you consider them villains? So I definitely see the comedian as a villain, um, and I think he is. And this is going to come across wrong, and so I apologize in advance. He is the ugly side of the United States. Mm. Might makes right. Um, if 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 what's good for America is good for the world. Um, you know, we, we don't know why he, um, assassinated Kennedy, but they show that he does. You see him killing people in Vietnam. You see during the riots, he's killing people. Um, he, the, in his mind, you know, the, end justifies the means Mm. and what the end is is either helping America or helping his own agenda Mm. Um, so um, I think it helps that Jeffrey Dean Morgan um, you know at this point uh, you know the dad on Supernatural he was um, you know a famous you know lovable character on Grey's Anatomy uh, that people adored Um, so he is a very charming likable character 
and to play him, the comedian has some charms. And he, um, so yes, I would put him definitely as the villain in the piece, um, partly because um, he's, he's lost his humanity, even more than a lot of ways than Dr. Manhattan had. Mm. And and when it comes to, and I I think that it's true. It's interesting, like you said about the fact of maybe representing the ugly side of of his country, and probably that was Alan Moore's intent when he wrote the character of the comedian yes. was to show, should we say, the the negative side of the country, and yes. maybe the way he felt. I mean, we also have to think this is a British author or a British writer, and this is maybe yes. the way the US was perceived in, in the UK in certain aspects. So maybe he wanted to give that. Um, and on the other end, and, and it, what I thought also came to my mind when I saw um, Jeffrey Dean Morgan's portrayal and when he starts crying at the bedside of his worst enemy, um, saying that he did some terrible things and, and such, it almost reminded me, to use another uh, comparison, of what happens in the first Rambo movie. When after having slaughtered everybody, he's almost traumatized by the war and he explains that, you know, he, he, he saw terrible things in Vietnam and it just messed up his mind completely. And it could also be um, an excessive um, example of post-traumatic stress that he came back from these, these awful scenes. And of course, we know war is not pretty at all. It's one of the worst things ever. And it could also be an exaggeration of that trauma or, you know, to start with, let's say he is probably not the nicest person or um, doesn't do the nicest things, but maybe it, being in the line of work that he is, he is or he was, it may have had an impact on him. And when it comes to, to Ozymandias, here we have another person who is uh, an example of the end justifies the means because He's trying to do what he he's, he does for the good of humanity in his eyes. Yes. He says, okay, we'll slaughter millions, but at least we'll have peace and we'll avert nuclear war. When it came to Ozymandias' plan and uh, the way Matthew Good played him, what were your thoughts on, on this particular character? So because you go into the movie knowing, th- like you know who the person attacks the comedian. Uh, You know, I I think it's actually would be interesting to talk to someone who had not read the comic and, and to hear, but we knew that, um, the, the, I am a cynic, even though I'm very, very, um, in many ways an optimist, but, um, I, I, unfortunately, I think that um, the the reality is there was a there was a movie years ago um, that Michael Keaton starred in, and it was um, I can't think of the name, but the idea was this car plant was closed, and he goes to Japan and convinces them to come take over the plant. And build cars, mm. and so this plant, um, you know, th- this whole city was going to die, and so they come back, and instead of being grateful, they're all unhappy 
because the Japanese want to do things their way. Right. They they don't want to change. And um, when Lynn and I left the movie, we were living in Lake Charles, Louisiana at the time, and and we both said I, I didn't like that movie because that's what Lake Charles would do. You know, the people here in Lake Charles are so stuck in their ways mm-hmm. that they would not. They would look this gift horse in the mouth and would say, "No, I don't want to fall that way. I don't care if it does give me, you know, a new industry." Um, so, I I think that spoilers. You know, the, the the his premise is if the world felt that um, another dimension or aliens were going to attack the world, that the world would gather together. And there would be, you know, everyone would hold hands, sing kubaya because of a mutual enemy, and therefore you would get world peace because, um, you know, it's it's the Star Trek in the future, right? That all of a sudden Earth is one, um, it's one planet, and so therefore all on the same side. You know, my thought is no, that's not going to stick. Unfortunately, there's too many jealousies and too much political stuff and everything. So, um, and I, I'm hoping that that will be part of the story that we're going to see in this new, uh, Watchmen series is that, um, you know, that we as humans are so flawed, we can't accept that. Um, we will see. Um, so does that kind of answer your question? I feel like I kind of got off on a <laughs> No, I think, I think it definitely, it certainly did. Uh, and, and, you know, and speaking actually of the, the alien menace, because for those who have not read the graphic novel, but you definitely should, and spoiler alert, the ending to the movie is completely different to the graphic novel, because in the graphic novel, of course, there is this giant squid involved. Whereas in the movie, as we know, it all fingers go, should we say, Ozymandias's plan is Everybody blame Dr. Manhattan. He's giving people cancer. He, and he also is the, the cause for the, the destruction of millions. How did you feel about the, the change in the ending? Were you happy that they didn't do, use a giant squid? Or were you a little bit um, upset that, that, they, that, he, that Snyder changed the ending? So I was okay with that change. I, you know, it ended up getting us the same result. Um, so I was okay with it. I knew that I wasn't sure because even on the graphic novel, the comic book, you know, the, the giant squid and the scene of it being everywhere and it, it could come across as a little cheesy. So I was worried that if we tried to do that in the big screen, it would come up that way. And by having it this, um, blaming Dr. Manhattan and having that seem to be a little more of what Adrian would have done. So I was okay with that. How about you? I I definitely think so. Also because I I feel for um, narrative purposes, it would have been a nightmare to set up the concept of the alien squid because already you're dealing with so much stuff and already you have a theatrical cut of 162 minutes Lord knows if you also want to set want to put in the fact that there's a, a giant alien squid. I mean, I feel what I maybe mean, as comic book readers, you can do that on the page because maybe you have more time and you can do that. 
been a movie, I have a feeling that had there been suddenly the materialization of a giant alien squid in, in the center of New York or what have you, a lot of people probably would have gotten up and walked out of the theater. Yeah, or at least have said that was a dumb ending. And yeah. so instead we got this. So I was okay with that. I, I think it wraps it all up and it makes more sense, narratively speaking, that that you would, that, um, like you said, Adrian Veidt would use an alien menace to unite people, uh, obviously at the cost of millions of lives. So it's not a, probably the best plan, but that was, that was his idea. And I, I touched up also on the, on the fact of the soundtrack. And I know that you're a huge music buff. Of course, you've got your own music podcast about Bruce Springsteen. Were you happy that, uh, should we say, Snyder decided to almost pull up his favorite songs and use them in the movie? Or would you have preferred to have had an original um, soundtrack, as it were? So, um, I, I was doing some research before I joined you, and um, there, there's a lot of web pages, you know, based <laughs> that's because of this movie. And in on one of them, it was saying that a, a lot of the music in the movie were actually mentioned in the comic. So he uh, had used a lot of references. I thought the choice of songs, um, I, I didn't particularly like Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah during the, the sex scene, lovemaking yeah. scene. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I, I didn't dislike it. I just, it didn't work. But I thought the Sound of Silence, um, you know, I thought the, um, you know, the scenes in Vietnam and... I think Bob Dylan at the opening credits was amazing. That alone, when I saw that, I said, oh, my God, this movie is going to be great because there's a lot to explain about that world. And by having that four or five minute um, kind of flashbacks and images and show how the world in how the world is different um to um such a iconic dylan tune um i thought that was amazing i i and I, I will echo that thought with the fact that it's probably one of my all-time favorite opening scenes of almost any movie i've seen granted Zack snyder i believe before he actually went to directing movies was actually a music video director and you can probably see yeah. that in this because he, a lot of his pieces are almost one you know, long music videos, and uh, and he does this masterfully. And as I, I as I was saying, I, I I'm always gleeful and happy, even though it doesn't depict happy things. To see to hear the times they are a changing with the in, the introduction, because like you said, there was so much to cover, and. He, uh, Zack Snyder did an incredible job of covering so much backstory in, should we say, a, I think, five or six minute mu music video. I mean, very few people can actually pull that off. You know, the, the closest um, is in totally different tone, but the silent movie introduction in Up, where we oh, yes. see the character's life of how he lost his, you know, he had a lifetime of any loses, you know, they have no children. They, he loses the love of his life and he's there alone. And, um, that 
is a masterpiece right there. And, and I, I think that is one of the, that is one of the few others where I say it sets the tone of the movie so well. So yeah, I, I, I think, you know, you start out with the fight and it's a really, you know, you're, it's a good fight. You've got the whole, you know, comedian making tea and it's a wealth, you know, you've got the TV and they're talking about things and you're set in this world and all of a sudden, you know, you have the fight and then he gets thrown out the window and that is just a direct, you know, um, homage, rip off, whatever you want to call it, of the comic, you know, that iconic scene. Um, it just, and then when you roll into uh, the credits, it's just an amazing way to, for the movie to start. Agreed. And um, so, Jesse, at this point, any any other thoughts on the movie before we move on? So I, I get that people, one of the complaints I hear about the movie is one, the ending changed. And I get that, but I think it was a wise decision. The other complaint I hear about is that um, none of these people are supposed to have superpowers except Dr. Manhattan, and all of them seem to have super strength. Um, they're, you know, they, they, um, they're almost indestructible. You know, they get through all this, this fights. Um, I thought... I gave that a kind of hand wave that, you know, to kind of show that they're, um, you know, either superly well-trained or whatever. Um, I, I think that this movie is Zack Snyder loves the comic and this is a love letter to the comic. And, um, and if you want, and I have trouble judging it as anything but that love letter to this beloved comic. Um, and and when you, um, you know, I there are people that say the Orville is nothing but you know um, Seth MacFarlane, you know Star Trek fan fiction. He just he convinced Fox to give him money so he can do his own Star Trek fan fiction. Um, I think he that series has actually become more than that, and it's an amazing series. And if you aren't watching it and you love good science fiction and good, you know, Star Trek type shows, you'll absolutely love it. Um, even with the you know jokes thrown in there, um, I think this is a good movie. I don't think it's a great movie, but it is a good movie, and it is a worthy companion to this um, amazing graphic novel. Well, uh, I will say amen to that, and uh, and I feel that uh, probably one of Zack Snyder's better movies, because we know that after that he ended up doing Batman v Superman, which didn't go over too well, and Justice League 
<clears throat> pardon me, which didn't go over too well, and Man of Steel. I think this is probably his best ever to date, along with 300. And I will definitely echo yeah. Jesse's thoughts with, if you have not seen this movie, definitely check it out. If you're a fan of the graphic novel, definitely check it out, because it, it's kind of like having read The Lord of the Rings and not having watched what Peter Jackson did with the, with that with those books. So definitely, definitely we'll check those out. And moving forward here, Jesse, with this HBO TV series, what are you hoping to see? Do you, are you hoping for that they follow the, uh, the, the storyline in Doomsday Clock that they've done in the comics? Or uh, do you have particular thoughts and hopes for this, the, the new series that you'd like, you'd like to see? So one of my um, great embarrassments is I have tended to... I have I've I've fallen away from reading comics. Mm. Um, it is um, just it, it's partly because of time, partly because the cynicism in me. Um, when uh, several years ago, when DC did the New Fifty Two, um, and they said this is a great place for new readers to jump in mm. and I said in a great place for an old reader to jump off um, because I don't need a new Superman um, and and I know um, my partner in time Charles remains very um, devoted and, and reads a ton of comic books so I've not read this series I did not read Beyond Doomsday I, I just I, I kind of looked at it and and I just kind of moved on. I um, I have select series that I tend to read. Um, Tom Zoller, who is a good friend of mine, um, he does Love and Capes, and he did Time and Vine, and his series, I tend to read whatever he's doing. Uh, Terry Moore from Strangers in Paradise, uh, whatever new series he's doing, I tend to get. Uh, but I just don't buy too many even DC comics anymore so I have no idea the storyline so I'm on the beauty I'm getting to go in totally free I don't know what's going to happen um, I hope it's a, I'm, a, I'm a Damon Lindelof fan I don't think that quote unquote he screwed up the end of Lost I think um, with a show that complex you're not going to make everyone happy. Um, I was happy with the emotional way they ended the show. Um, and I have enjoyed The Leftovers was a show that he did that I absolutely adored. Um, I think it got better as the show progressed. And so I'm excited to see what he's going to do. I, I hope it's I hope it's a powerful story. I hope it's a complex story. Um, I hope it's not too um, like Westworld got a little crazy the second season. I'm like, I'm having trouble <laughs> following what's going on. Uh, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just like, I'm not sure. And, and I'm okay with a little bit of that. So I guess that's what I'm hoping for. How about you, Nick? 
Well, I, you know, unlike, I have read the, the Doomsday Clock books. I really enjoyed those. I don't think we'll be getting what happens in Doomsday Clock because um, they are trying to tie in, or they try to tie in the DC characters, i.e. Superman, Batman, etc., with the Watchmen universe. So I don't think they'll do that, but they could surprise us. I am, like you said, I'm hoping we will get a complex story, a thrilling story. I'm hoping they almost um, follow the noir detective style that is part of Watchmen, which is one of the things that actually drew me in when I first read the book, was the fact that um, this murder mystery, this whodunit, because I'm a huge fan of murder mysteries and thrillers and such, and that was actually when I had read that the premise was there's this murder and then nobody knows what's happened and such. I was, I was totally sold on that concept. And I'm hoping it will be another um, crime slash detective story. And, and with all the, the fittings of, you know, superhero fare, as it were, but not as we've seen in other TV series, make it different. Also, I'm, yes. thinking, I'm thinking it's HBO and they haven't steered people wrong with things like Game of Thrones and such. So I'm thinking if HBO is behind it, it's probably going to be <clears throat> a very interesting project. Because I've noticed they tend to take on very interesting and, and, like you said, complex stories. So I have a feeling we're in for something, we're in for a good one. I hope, at least. We can only cross fingers and hope for the best. Uh, and when it comes to, uh, to favorite quotes from the, from the movie, um, Jesse, do you have any favorite lines? You know, I've already said one of my favorites. Um, I, there are, you know, all of Rorschach's, um, inner monologues are pretty fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I, um, it, I'm pulling up, um, I had, I had made some notes, um, so, um, that I enjoyed. I know, um, you know, one of the things of um, one of the scenes I really liked is when um, Daniel loses his temper and Rorschach's kind of, "Hey, I'm I'm sorry. I, you've been a good friend. Um, the I'm going to get it wrong, but." You know, things aren't funny right now. And when Dan says, well, of course, the comedian's dead, was a direct pull from the uh, comic. And then um, when Adrian says, I'm not a comic book villain, do you seriously think I would explain my master stroke to you if there was even the slightest possibility you could alter the income? I triggered it 35 minutes ago. And so, um, you know, I think those you already mentioned what happened to the american dream it came true um and then um when rorschach breaks into the prison the psychiatrist and said give me my face um you know that's good yeah. how about you well when it comes to me we were, we were talking a bit about um rorschach when it comes to to adrian Veidt, he has a few in a few memorable ones too there's the one in particular the exchange between him and edward blake um when i think when the, they're in the conference room and they're talking about what to do and, uh, and adrian says it doesn't take a genius to see that the world has problems and edward blake answers no but it takes a room full of morons to think they're small enough for you to handle so i thought that was quite a potent one there and yes, then that- 
that is great. And then yeah. also the the other one that I that I enjoyed was uh, well, you said you mentioned the one of um, you're not locked in with me. That that was a great one too. And um, I was uh, the other one was Rorschach when he really shows I think his his true colors and should we say what his belief system is is never compromise not even in the face of armageddon that's always been the difference between us daniel which really sort of shows the kind of man that he is and um the other one that i that i well i mean there's there's so many because it's crazy how, how many there are and this one is i think it's it's the perfect line for a, a sci-fi book which is um what dr manhattan says which is i have walked across the surface of the sun i have witnessed events so tiny and so fast they can hardly be said to have occurred at all but you adrian you're just a man the world's smartest man poses no more threat to me than does its smartest termite yeah, I, that is a great line. <laughs> a, yes, very, a very epic one indeed. Well, uh, Jesse, first off, you know, thank you so much for the time. I really, really appreciated it. And if anybody wants to check what you you, you out and what you do, or where can where can people find you? Uh, as Charles would say, on the interwebs. Well, first off, thank you for having me on. Uh, this has been a joy. It is. Um, you are um, one of my favorite people you know this is there is a lot of ugliness uh with the internet and social media um and there are times especially in today's environment where you go you know i should just get off twitter i should get off facebook um but then every once in a while you throw a podcast out and you have someone come back and say, I really enjoy your work and you guys exchange a few emails and you become friends even though you've never met. And, and I feel like that has happened between you, Charles, and I, and, and you are just a great guy. So I am thrilled you've started this podcast and I'm thrilled you've let me play. <laughs> well, you're very, very welcome. And again, and I'm so honored to have been a part of you know everything that you guys have done and the, the, the internet has created this friendship amongst the three yes. of us and yeah and you know because we were talking a little bit about like i said you know of course we're here on the happiness and darkness show but you also do some great work uh, yes. when it comes to podcasting so uh, if anybody has yet to have heard jesse woe betide yeah. you if you haven't but where yeah. can they find so, you jesse yeah so yes i am i am trying to not do as many podcasts but um charles and i um do a next stop everywhere a doctor who podcast I am currently doing about one episode a month. The other two or three episodes a month, Charles has guest companions. We discuss the Doctor Who um, series, the both classic and modern. Um, if you, we have um, several hundred episodes. You can go back and check. Um, and uh, Dick. Uh, Nick has joined us a couple of times, and so it's certainly worth checking. Charles and I will be talking about a new um, David Tennant, Donna Noble um, um, radio drama that's coming out, so big finish, so that's coming up. Um, we do uh, where we first got to know, Charles and I uh, do Titan Talk, the Titans podcast, we are currently going through season two of the Titans, and if you have not watched the Titans on DC Universe, I definitely think it is worth the expense. Um, I think season two, they've stepped up their game, and so we talk about that um, on the Phantom Zone podcast, which is on a 
hiatus right now, but Charles and I just went through the second season of Krypton, and we had an episode where we talked about the boys. Um, and then the pain, my main podcast is uh, Set Lusting Bruce, the Bruce Springsteen podcast. Um, I am now up to um, – I have had over 400 episodes over the past four years, um, and what I do is I find – um, Bruce Springsteen fans and fans of other music from all over the world, and we talk music. Um, it's a conversation show. It's an interview show. Uh, we talk about people's backgrounds. We tear, we share how they found their favorite musician. We talk about what it means. Um, and so we have had people from Germany, Russia, UK, certainly here in the U.S., Ireland, Australia, and. Um, if you um, – it's called Set Lusting Bruce, the Bruce Springsteen podcast. Um, as we record this, it is September 22nd. I'm not sure when Nick's going to get this out. But tomorrow, Monday, 923, is Bruce Springsteen's 70th birthday. Wow. And to celebrate that birthday, uh, we have a special episode coming out on the Set Lusting Bruce feed, and it has 88 – different voicemails from 14 different countries of people telling Bruce happy birthday and sharing what their music meant to them. It is, um, I think it's pretty special and I'm hoping that even if you're not a Bruce Springsteen fan, you check it out. Um, it's, it's pretty fun to hear all the different voices and talk. Uh, I am on Twitter at Jesse Jackson DFW. Uh, you can go to www setlustingbruce.com is uh, my website for the Springsteen podcast you can uh, from there you can find our Set Lusting Bruce uh, store, you can find my Patreon page uh, you can buy a uh, Mary Question um, uh, t-shirt and if you want to know what the Mary Question is listen to a Set Lusting Bruce and you'll hear the Mary Question I think that's it. Where can they find you? <laughs> well, you're definitely a man of many podcasts, and congrats on having reached 400 episodes. That's quite a milestone, Jesse. Well, when it comes to me, if, of course, everybody, you want to be like Jesse, and let's be honest, who doesn't want to be like Jesse, you can join us here on the show to discuss a movie of your choice. Feel free to shoot us an email at happinessindarknesshow at gmail.com, or if you want to just leave us a comment, you can also do that at happinessindarknesshow at gmail.com. We also, of course, <clears throat> excuse me, on the Whiskey and Cigarettes show. That's whiskeyandcigarettesshow.com. If you're fans of country music, you can check that out. And that airs every Sunday from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. ET. Also, feel free to show your support by giving us a like and follow on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash whiskeyandcigarettes. And if you would like to support this podcast and are feeling generous, you can hit the donate button also. We really appreciate that. Also, any donators will be able to pick the movie we next discuss. And speaking of which, next week we'll be joined by good friend and country music artist Leslie Cause Mather, who is, has yet to announce the movie she wants to discuss, but I, I can tell you people, it's going to be a good one. That said, Jesse, Thank you so, so much again for the time. I definitely look forward to having you back soon. And I definitely look forward to discussing more with you and Charles very soon as well. 
All right, that sounds perfect. Yeah, we are holding a spot for you to um, – it is now a tradition. Um, the season wrap-up of Titan Talk is – that spot is reserved for you. <laughs> well, thank you so much, and you definitely always have a home here at the Happiness in Darkness show. Thanks again. One more, people. That was, our, of course, our review of Watchmen. Let us know what you thought of it. We'll see you next week. Ciao for now. Come senators, congressmen, please heed the call Don't stand in the doorway, don't block up the hall For he that gets hurt will be he who has stalled The battle outside region Will soon shake your windows and rattle your walls For the times they are a-changing Mothers and fathers throughout the land And don't criticize what you can't understand Your sons and your daughters are beyond your command Your old road is rapidly aging Please get out of the new one if you can't lend your hand For the times they are changing The curse it is cast The slow one now Will later be fast As the present now Will later be past The order is rapidly fading And the first one now Will later be last For the times They are a-changing